You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. From Hebrews chapter 9. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have to had, had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So far, text. It is said that imitation is the highest form of flattery. And this saying, we recognize it as a truism because there's some truth to it. To genuinely imitate something, not mockingly, genuinely, It's, in a sense, to compliment what you're imitating. It's to acknowledge that something is the best in its category, and you want to be or make something just like it. And we're quite familiar with imitation. It's all around us. All we have to do is look at the things that we buy. Since every manufacturer, every company wants you to buy their product, They often imitate the successful products of other companies, hoping that even though they're not the same, the similarities and maybe lower price will make the sale. We call them by various names, imitation, off-brand, generic, store brand. And though they command a certain share of the market, they all tend to live in the shadow of the definitive product in their line. We all know from experience that many of these products are good, but they just aren't as good as what they're imitating. Classic Coke has been imitated by dozens of different companies, but none of their versions are liked as much as the original. When I was young, Transformers were about the coolest toy in the history of the world. And none of the other toy companies' imitations, and there were plenty, could even come close. A guitar player can choose from dozens and dozens of knockoff versions of the most desirable models, but you'll find that they just don't play or sound like an SG or a Stratocaster or a Hummingbird. Store brand chocolate sandwich cookies might quell your craving, but they just don't compare to Oreos. And any child will tell you that Legos are always always better than megablocks. So if we subject it to a little scrutiny, it seems that there truly is nothing better than the real thing. Now today's epistle that we just read from the book of Hebrews unfolds for us the matter of the real thing. It's centered on aspects of Israel's sacrificial system. All of chapter 9 has been unfolding that. And that sacrificial system being operative under the Old Covenant. So the writer speaks of priests and blood and sacrifice and holy places. 
And while for a reader in the ancient world these things may have been familiar, the significance of them for us may need some clarification, since animal sacrifice for sin is an act really entirely foreign to our experience. But more than this, we need to understand Israel's sacrificial system because it has both its beginning and fulfillment in Christ. The profound truth in this text is that the sacrifices of Israel were the copy, the imitation of the divine reality, while the sacrifice of Jesus was the real thing. Now, to understand sacrifice, we must make our hands a little bloody. Now, blood is central to the biblical idea of atonement. For God to forgive sin, one life is exchanged for another. Now, this was set in place on the first Passover when an unblemished male from the flock was selected, slaughtered, and eaten in haste with unleavened bread. Now, God instructed Israel to collect the blood from those sacrifices and paint it on the door frames of their dwellings. Now, this indicated to the angel of Yahweh that night not to kill the firstborn in that house. So the Israelites' actions were redemptive. The life of one from the flock was sacrificed to save the life of the firstborn. All those houses that did not have that salvific blood marking their doorways, particularly those of the Egyptians, woke that night to find themselves surrounded with the dead. On the Passover, it was blood that saved the firstborn of Israel. Now, when the Hebrews had left Egypt, they eventually arrived at Mount Sinai. Here, Moses received not only the Ten Commandments, but all the instructions pertaining to the sacrificial system, how Israel would worship and relate to God. Now, Yahweh had plans for his people to be different from all the rest, all the pagan nations. And he had a way for Israel to atone for their sins. Now, this way involved a lot of blood. It is blood that purifies under God's covenant. Blood makes things holy. So when the tabernacle and all its furnishings were finished and ready to be dedicated, when the priests were ready for their ordination, things became very bloody. The tent was sprinkled with blood. The altar, the lampstands, the vessels, the priests, even the people were sprinkled with blood. And this was redeeming blood, covenant-ratifying blood, sanctifying blood that removed their guilt before God and confirmed them as his people. The slaughter that day was vast. It's recorded that thousands of sheep, bulls, and goats died to make Israel holy. And such sacrifice wasn't just a one-time thing. It happened continually whenever there was sin that needed atoning. The Hebrews' days in the wilderness then were filled with blood. And on the sacrifices went, being relocated to a temple of God's design after Israel took possession of Canaan. And this temple, built by Solomon, was destroyed by the Babylonians. Then Zerubbabel started construction of a second temple that was on Solomon's foundations. And then later, after that one, was destroyed. Herod replaced it 
with a third. And despite the different buildings, the matter of sacrifice was always a bloody business. Animals were killed. Blood atoned for sin. And playing a vital role in all this were the priests who entered the holy places with blood to make atonement for sins on the behalf of the people. Without the priest serving his intercessory role, the system of sacrifice could not properly function. Now, this was the way Yahweh had established for his people to atone for their sins. But along the way, something was lost, was forgotten. Repentance. The connection of life for life, the blood of an animal being shed in the place of the blood of me, the trust in a God who mercifully forgives sin. These all became overlooked. The system became simply operative. My fulfilling an action to stay right with God. Faith didn't need to be there. But God did not want their ritual obedience. He wanted their hearts. He did not want sacrifice. He wanted faith. Now, this was because the whole point of Israel's sacrifices was not that killing goats and bulls and sheep forgave sins. The slaughter, the blood, was to point to the one ultimate final sacrifice upon which the entire Old Covenant was founded. The priests, the blood, the sacrifice, the altar, the holy places were all copies pointing to the real thing, Christ. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Now, the epistle writer reveals an amazing reality here, that the tabernacle and temple, with all their glory and the myriad sacrifices performed in them, were mere copies, imitations of the real things, the true divine temple and sacrifice. It was Jesus' death and blood atonement that came first, incepted, divinely anticipated, before the world began. The sacrificial of the Old Covenant was modeled after that. And yet, all of that covenant, that Old Covenant, pointed to the fulfillment. Jesus slaughtered on the altar of the cross for the sins of all people, and forgiveness to be appropriated not by the completion of ritual, but by faith. Christ's sacrifice was both the basis and the end of Israel's sacrifices. A basin full of blood in the priest's hands at the altar was the imitation. Jesus crucified, shedding his blood on the altar of the cross, was the real thing. Instead of the high priest entering the Holy of Holies with the blood of a sacrificed animal, Jesus entered the throne room of God the Father, offering his own blood to atone for our sins. It is a life-for-life exchange, his life for ours. But unlike the copies of the real things, Jesus' redemption is eternal. You see, the system under the Old Covenant was defined by finitude. Priests died and had to be replaced. 
sacrifices had to be made repeatedly, continually. There was not a once-for-all aspect to this kind of atonement. But again, it was all to point to Jesus. He is a priest forever. The atoning worth of his blood is never nullified by our sin. His suffering completed God's plan to redeem us from death. Indeed, it was the goal from the very beginning. Before the creation of the universe, God knew how things would go. He knew we would envy his lordship and rebel against him, that we would try to become gods ourselves. And even though he knew things would go terribly awry from his intention, his plan, he established a way to redeem all of it. Before he said, let there be, he set in place the means whereby he would repair all the damage wrought by sin. And that plan had to be borne out over the course of history to reach its fruition at just the right time. But leading up to its fulfillment, God provided his people a means to receive his mercy, his forgiveness, a way to understand how blood atones for sin. Better yet, how repentance receives God's mercy. And at the right time, all the sacrifices of the Old Covenant found their source and their end in the new, the bloody death of Jesus Christ. But our redemption does not stop with his death. He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven to sit in the place of his Father's favor. It's there that he makes intercession for us by means of his blood. He speaks a good word on our behalf, declaring to the Father those whose sins have been removed, who have been redeemed by his blood, his sacrifice, you and me and all the elect in Christ. And from heaven, Jesus has promised to return. And he will not deal with our sins at that time, for by his death, our sins have met their end. They've been judged. No, on that day, he will confirm our salvation, making the copies of the heavenly things we experience now eternally real. For now, he communicates his grace to us by means, through mediation, So whether in word or sacrament, these are copies, imitations of the real things which are stored up and awaiting us when Christ appears in glory. Then the channels he has chosen for revealing himself, his love, his salvation to us will no longer be needed. For on that day, God's grace will be unmediated, unobstructed by the copies the shadows of the real things he has provided us in this age. For when this old age breaks into the morning of the new, we will experience the eternal love and mercy of God as it issues from him, as light issues from the sun. And after all our years of copies and imitations, we will truly and eternally know nothing else than the real thing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 9.15, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 10.45 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 8.30 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 9.30 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.